All right, welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Hall of Famer remember guy, Mike Donahue. Is that a thing? Did, uh, I didn't know I ask if you, if you get that reference. I should have actually uncorked the bottle of wine. Yes, there you go. So you did uh, see that. I did. I, uh, our good friend, Tony LaRussa, apparently, oops, was at it again. I, I liked it. I liked it. Well, I cracked I cracked open a beer when you said his name, but I think Tony's uh, beverage of choice is vino. So, I, if I knew that was going to be the intro, I would have grabbed a bottle of wine to, you know. He always only it. has one glass. At least that's what he always tells the cops. Oh, I always had one glass with dinner. It's like I've seen two year right. DUI reports. It's a sixty four ounce glass. Yeah, it's a he pours it into a garbage can and drinks it at the table. <laughs> But that's not the crap we remember, we're remembering right now. We are remembering because nope. the exciting Chicago Bears are hosting the Minnesota so Vikings. So it's time to remember some crap about the Minnesota Vikings. And I have a uh, – oh, yeah. so I looked up. I'm going to give away one of the things that we, we tend to do. Because I, I guarantee you, you're not going to know who this is. But I noticed an interesting Ooh, thing challenge. on his stat page. Well, okay, do you know who the all-time leading scorer in Minnesota Vikings history is? I would love it if it was Gary Anderson, but it's probably not. It's not, and it's not the other kicker that you might think it was. Um, The other kicker for the Vikings? Yeah. I don't know why I'm going blank well, right actually, now. Well, actually, maybe though he kicker. spent more time with the Chiefs than with the Vikings. But he's, I always think of him as a Viking because he's a Viking. He was a Viking before Jan, he was a Viking. Jan Stenerud? Jan Stenerud. It's not Jan See, I always, I always think of Jan Stenerud as a Packer, oddly oh, enough, because he, he was briefly – he was a Packers kicker when I first gained NFL consciousness. But, yeah, he, he is a Hall of Famer, and all of that is predicated on his career with the Chiefs. So, no, I, I forgot that Stenerud was caught, kicked for the Vikings too. How about Blair Walsh? Remember when he missed a 15-yard field goal in the playoffs? What was it really? Sorry. It was 24 yards, I think. <laughs> it was yeah, amazing. Inside the five. It was basically the end of his career because he, he could never quite get over that. I didn't know that, but it, it, we consider that a teaser for some inevitable point today when we discuss all of the <laughs> um, Vikings playoff collapses. That's way down the list, oddly enough. Okay, so do you, um, it is a kicker. It's none of those guys. Okay. I, I, I'd never heard of this guy. Uh, he kicked from uh, 1963 to 1977. Really? Yes. Fred Cox? Oh yes. I I didn't even I didn't know who Fred Cox was. It just popped into my head. I was thinking like Jim Kick or somebody. He was somebody else. Well, Jim Kick. That would have been a great name, but he was a fullback. Right. Yeah. He was right, and he was with the Dolphins too. I think he was with the Vikings. So I don't know how why that one popped in, but yeah, Fred. Before our time, it just popped into my head. Yeah, that's impressive. So, um, so the thing about Fred was. Um, he made 55 of 57 career field goals of 19 yards or less. Wow. And from 19, and then in 1973, he was seven for seven. And then he never tried another one in his last four seasons. And I stared at it for a second. I'm like, well, what the hell? And then I realized why. Goalposts. Yes. They moved the goalpost back and you couldn't kick a field goal 
that was less than 19 yards. So his specialty, the league, just yanked it out from under him. <laughs> so a 19-yard field goal became a 29-yard field right, goal. Right, so the shortest field goal you could kick back in the days would have been eight yards. You could have tried so an eight-yard field goal, or maybe a nine. Assuming- I think the ball used to be on the... On the two, it's the stand. It's the standard what seven yards from the line of scrimmage, which can only be the one or inside yeah. the one. Oh, no, you so could have kicked an eight-yard field goal. Extra points would have been nine. Um, but yeah, and I would think that it would, <laughs> at some places, it would be almost impossible to make it because of the angle. I think you could actually uh-huh. be too close if you're on a hash mark. You might actually be too close to have a reasonable shot to make a field goal. How about that? How about the fact it took until 1973 for the NFL to go, hey, guys, maybe the maybe the goalpost shouldn't be in play? It's one of the mysteries for me. When Although you watch I did those make goals. for some hilarious bloopers. Guys running into the goalpost. Yeah, well, the hilarious are just like cringeworthy and painful looking, right? Well, and it would have been part of your offense. You could be you'd be intentionally running defensive backs have, have off of the goalposts. And it was and in yeah. those case, in, in those days, at least on the films, they were the it was the H. H's. So there yeah, were not two the... posts to like weave yes, guys. Yeah. You know. Oh, I can imagine yeah. Matt Nagy and his big noodle. And he'd be like, all right, here's what we're gonna do, <laughs> I want you to run on the on the outside of the first post and then cut back into the inside of the second one. That way you can catch the ball and not even be in the end zone. That'll be great. That's perfect. That's right, great. Right. Run right back out of the end zone just to pick a guy and then <laughs> fall down inside the one. Yeah, yeah I, that must have been a strategy, and it is. It is. It's one of those things that you see the footage, you watch the NFL films, and it, it's like I said for me, it was cringeworthy. It's just the thought of somebody just you know running into one of you know one of the, the the other thing that always kind of like makes me cringe from then is that the pylons uh, they weren't like foam covered, you know, with cylindrical cushions. They were like these flags that you know and pointy tops right everyone's sticking like, out of your forehead after sure you dove for a touchdown i'm sure in green bay they use those so. little poles that you put on alongside your driveway in the winter so you don't accidentally <laughs> take the snowblower into the yard <laughs> and they're like what happened to Kent? what happened to uh james lofton oh he's got one of those things stuck in his ribs he's gonna be out for a couple of plays yeah he's in the locker room just so so 55 kicks of nights all right so i guess that would probably check out maybe not so much nowadays you just have to make the adjustment be 29 yards and under he missed two of them he missed one in uh, his rookie year and he missed one um where's the other one he missed one in 1967 so 74 was the season that they finally came to their senses and pushed the uh the goalpost to the back end of the end pissed off red cox because he could no longer yeah couldn't kick his eight-yard field goals anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but that Incredible. has to be, I mean, obviously, that has to be the shortest field goal in Shared by NFL many. History. Has to be eight. Eight yards, yeah. Yes, and his, um, they do, Football Reference does a, um, a, a player similarity thing like Baseball Reference does. And his okay. has um, two of my favorites on it. Uh, well, guy, I know we're going to talk about uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, Chester Markle. Oh, God. And. We'll have to. Well, actually three. I don't know this guy. I just like his name. And he's popping up a lot on this list. Horst Muehlman. 
He's there a lot. Do not recall. Uh, and then Uwe Van Schaman. Oh, already been name-checked in an earlier episode yes. of our podcast. Great name. Alindo Mare is on this list. Uh-huh. Not Orlando, as so many fantasy owners would yell out back in those years. It's Olindo. Yeah. Mike Vanderjacht, whose uh, ex-girlfriend um, not only is from Roscoe, Illinois, but is on SportsCenter. I did not know that. I just when I think of Mike Vanderjack, I think about him getting shit faced and bad mouthing his uh, his court of his Peyton Manning called him our idiot kicker. If you are a place kicker and you like publicly call out a Hall of Fame quarterback, there's just you've written your own you've written your own obituary. Professionally speaking. So another thing I wanted to talk about, and it, it was funny that two things converged in one topic. I didn't know this. So I was thinking about Bud Grant, and I'm sure there's all kinds of things people remember about Bud. Um, I remember him for bitching that the Bears didn't respect the national anthem enough. Do you remember this? Really? Yes. Isn't Bud Grant Canadian? Oh, I don't think so. No, he, no, he played this. He's from northern Minnesota. I'm yeah. sorry, but he, but he played in the CFL. That's why I thought that. Oh, yeah. So carry on. Okay, so... It's, uh, in 1984, the second time the Bears played the Vikings, Bud was having none of the casual Back way. Up. Back up. Bud yeah. was not the coach in 84, though, right? Oh, okay. So maybe it was 80. He came back for 85? Correct. Okay. So the, le- the less stuck with one year wonder. Okay. So it must have been. Maybe he just observed it as a fan. I don't know. Um, very upset that the Bears. Um, well, they were the 84-85 Bears. They didn't, you know. They, yeah, they're good. They were, they're yeah, taking they the throne, they, in effect, from they didn't have to, They didn't have to run. pay attention during the National Anthem. He got mad. <clears throat> huh? And so, first time they play them in 1985, this is a big deal. He's already bitched about um, the Bears not respecting the National Anthem. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's quoted as saying, I think the National Anthem is the highlight of the game. Well, yeah, maybe against the '85 Bears, it was the highlight of the game. Actually, it wasn't. They got off too little. So, or or maybe in the four Super Bowls that Bud coached in, it was the highlight of the game. So he complained that the Bears and Vikings were playing on. He wasn't complaining about them playing on Thursday night. He was complaining that Thursday night football on ABC didn't show the anthem. Oh, this is the McMahon game. And so the announcers had to talk about it. Before, as the game started, I, I have there were no th- recollection of this Bud Grant, okay. but you're running right into the famous yeah. McMahon game. Right. That's of why they, they converge. I want to talk about both. Now, there's the the announcing crew for Monday Night Football that year was three Hall of Fame can I, players. Can I guess? Yes. You, I want was OJ one of them? them? Yes. Orenthal James Simpson. Uh, Frank Gifford. Frank Gifford. And oh, the pressure's on. It was Al Michaels in Coronel 87. Hit uh, uh, Meredith's not a Hall of Famer. Yep. Um, this is one of the worst announcing wow. teams ever. And it was before Deardorff. I got a black hole there. It's really, it must have been like a one or two year guy. But I know, o- so I'm just going to OJ and Frank. Who was the third? The Until OJ uh, allegedly uh, killed two people, <laughs> this guy would have been the most famous of the group Joe Willie Namath. Namath. Uh huh. That's right. He kind of like tried to take Meredith's shtick. Remember, Meredith would always sing, turn out the lights, the party. Meredith was good in that role. I forgot Namath did. All Namath did was kind of be reductive of, of, uh, 
of Meredith in the booth. Okay. I do remember Namath being in the booth. All right. So 85 Thursday night, Bud Grant's kicking up a storm about the Bears' behavior in the anthem. He was bitching about it. And so OJ. The 2-0 and Bears. OJ chatted with uh, Ed Sherman of the Chicago Tribune. Really? <laughs> yes. Said OJ didn't want to seem un-American. I don't have anything against the national anthem, said Simpson. The league wants us to keep the game shorter. You know, we cut that minute off with the anthem. That moves everything right along. I'm just uh, wondering why they went to OJ and not like Rune Arledge, but okay. Well, Put OJ on the spot. Was, he went right to Nordberg. He's a big star. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah, uh, he was. You forget that. So Bud took the anthem so seriously. This is not going to shock you, I don't think. The Vikings used to practice it. Oh, my God. They would actually, they called it the Viking formation. And they would line up in practice. And he would, like, check them out like he was a general inspecting his troops to make sure they were. So Ditka, because, you know, as much as it's a pain in the ass, there are times when him being a dick is really entertaining. Sure. Made the Bears practice it before the Viking game. So they were completely, it was probably a pity that ABC didn't show it because apparently the bears were all like perfectly lined up uh, They had a, just to show Bud a, that they could line up for the anthem if they wanted to. And then probably never did again. Wow. So yes, that leads <laughs> into then one of the, well, I mean the 85, the there's a lot of famous stuff that happened during the 85 season. This is so Theismann one yard punt, which happened a week after this game. And, uh, but I think the game, if you think of a regular season game during that season, this is the one. So a little bit of, um, and I didn't even think about this game and, you know, funny, funnily enough, uh, it's seared in my memory. Uh, I want to say it was the third game of the season. The bears won the first two games. We talked about the, uh, the Tampa Bay game where surprisingly the Buccaneers scored 28 points in the first half, but the bears won it going away. They, they beat up their eventual, uh, Super Bowl um, nemesis in week two at soldier field. And I want to say it was week three, but McMahon, of course, uh, this is not a recording was dinged up already a couple weeks into the season. And the big controversy was Ditka was like trying to draw a line in the sand. If you don't practice, you don't play. If you don't practice, you don't play. So I might be wrong. It might've been the fourth week, um, but it was a rare Thursday night game. Thursday night games have been a thing now for quite a while, but it was Monday night football on Thursday night. It's really what it was. Yep. Didn't have its own brand. And, um, and McMahon did not start, of course, because um, he didn't practice that week. And uh, Fuller, who had, who had filled in ably, Steve Fuller the year before, um, you know, they were sputtering or whatever. And, and I think the story was that McMahon was an absolute pain in, in Ditka's ass on the sidelines, you know, just, he just wore him down. And, uh, and so he comes in and of course, look it up kids in case you don't know about it. I'm sure most people should by now uh, on YouTube, but the very first two snaps from center, first one or the second one is where Walter Payton totally took out a blitzing linebacker, which I, I think, always like I to think it was out. the second one. It was the one in McKinley. I think so. I think so. Uh, but yeah, the bears are down 10, 14 points, whatever. McMahon comes in first play from scrimmage, drops back. He hits either Galt or McKinnon. Can't remember. And then they score bears 
to get the ball back, first play from scrimmage, another 30, 40, 50-yard touchdown to the other one that didn't catch the first one. And then he had a third one that was like on the fifth or sixth play. It was just absolutely bonkers, you know. Um, the Bears were ascending. We could sense it, even though we hadn't had any experience really prior to, to that in our lifetimes, the teams on the rise of a, something great. But it was obvious, and they just blew them out of the Metrodome. And you know, the rest is at least the next five years was history, frankly. So um, the Bears were down 17 to 9 when That's what uh, McMahon came in relatively early in the third quarter. Well, maybe not even relatively early because the Bears have been down, were down 10 6 at half. Um, Anthony Carter had caught a touchdown pass from the great AC. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was sober. Then, yeah. As long at, as there, at that they, point, they weren't, there was no breathalyzers on the sidelines. Tommy was fine. Correct. Um, so Butler kicks field goal, makes it 10 9, Minnesota. Mike Jones catches a nine-yard pass from Kramer. And um, Ditka, the way he says it, to get – to basically make McMahon shut up, put him in the game, get him off the sidelines. First pass, 70 yards to Willie Galt. Um, wow, 70. So the it was Bears, a bomb, too. It was all It was all just like a long pass, guys sprinting his ass off. Bears cut it to 17-16. Next offensive play, 25-yard touchdown pass to McKinnon. Makes 23-17. And then, like you said, it was like four or five plays later on the third possession. 43-yard touchdown pass to McKinnon. Bears go up 30-17. to um, Carter caught a long pass from Kramer to make it 30-24. to But then Butler kicked a field goal, and the Bears won by 9, 33-24. The, the thing that jumps off at when you look at the stats... And I thought, God, this was at least the second week out of the first three that the Bears' defense was bad. Right. Uh, Tommy Kramer, 28 of 55 for 436 yards and three touchdowns. And it, um, took him a, it took him a while to get going. I, I wonder if if, if maybe uh, the immersion of Wilbur Marshall and Dave Dorson in for the famously contractually holding out um, Al Harris and, and uh, Todd Bell – that's the only thing I can think of, but yeah. you're right. Two out of the first three weeks, teams are moving the ball up and down on them. Yeah, week one they give up 27, they give up 28 points to the Bucks. Um, one half. They did not have much problem with their eventual Super Bowl opponent, the Patriots, in week two. They held them to 206 yards, but then the Vikings put up 445 on them, 411 of them through the air, and then the Redskins, um, even though the Bears dominated, won 45 to 10. Yep. The uh, Redskins, 375 yards. Yep. Then the Bucks again, 373. But then the Bear defense started to um, emerge. The Niners could only manage in one of the great... That speaking great of DUIs... Um, That's right. That's right. They go After out for the, re- for the rematch. The Niners had beaten them rather thoroughly in the NFC Championship game the year before. The Bears went 26-10. to 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the sack Montana like the, six times. I the think. refrigerator makes his uh-huh. debut purely as did. purely as revenge because Guy McIntyre had run the ball yep. in the title game against them the year before. Yep, and Ditka, of course, going to hold a grudge. But yeah, they held the Niners to 183 total yards. Um, they beat the crap out of the Packers. Well, the Packers had over 300 yards, but that was when uh, that was fridge the fridge actually had, got to touch the ball. Was it Larry yep. Cumby that he buried in the end zone? I George. forget which. George, George Cumbie, he took yeah. it. He took him out with blocks on the first and third, I think, and then the surprise, 
was the, uh, the 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 second one, which I'm sure you know I can still hear like Namath and OJ just blowing up in the booth. But then we get to a a couple of weeks later, we get to a three week stretch that has to be among the most dominant in NFL history. They beat the Lions. Um, just they beat them twenty-four field. to three. The Lions I was gain a total of one hundred and six yards. Nice. One hundred and six yards believe, total offense. I believe Suey and Peyton both went over one hundred yards rushing in that game. If it then, was at Soldier Field next week, they go to Dallas for the famous forty-four to nothing yep. game. One hundred and seventy-one total yards for the Cowboys, yeah. and then they tap it off with the game we talked about when we talked about the Falcons with the great David Archer. One hundred and nineteen uh-huh. total yards for the Falcons, which included a passing total of minus 22. Yes. What, what was the yardage in the Dallas game? 171. 119 so bare, yards passing, 52 yards. Bare, it's rushing. just a tick over 400 yards over the course of three games. Yeah, so basically the Vikings gained more yards in week three than the Bears yeah. allowed weeks 11, 12, and 13 combined. Yeah, up your ass, Bud Grant. You know, I was I was disappointed to hear that story because I always did kind of like Grant. And of course, since you mentioned that, I looked it up, and much like uh, you, you mentioned Tom Coughlin, you know, being the archetype of this guy that sort of likes to, you know, behave militarily, even though he's not in the military. Uh, doesn't look like Bud Grant even like, and he's of that generation where almost everybody was drafted and served. He didn't, so it's just funny that he would be so. He said he grew horrific. up. He literally in this in this article I read about the anthem. He said one of the reasons that the anthem means so much to him is he grew up during the war. And I was like, he was, he was, four, he, he was 14 war when Which Pearl war did you grow up during? So he, yeah, so he grew up during World War II. He, he, he sort of grew up in between. He could have gone to Korea, didn't for the record. <laughs> My dad even, you know, was a veteran of the Korean. So, I, you know, I, I just, whatever. I'm, I don't want to go down that rabbit no, hole right. too much. I never, I never heard that story about Bud Grant before. My but. uncle served in Korea. He was an MP in New Jersey. And he said, hey, he said, the uh, you'll notice the Koreans uh, never made it to Trenton. So he did. Yeah, well, well, my, yeah, my dad, I guess you, you're technically a veteran of a foreign war, even if you're in the service but not fighting overseas. So my dad was actually in Alaska when uh, when the Korean War ended. He was too much from deployment, so he likes to think that he scared Uncle Joe into appeasement. But yeah, still a vet. But Bud Grant, nope, I don't see anything in it from his Wikipedia page about um, him serving time. Just you know, so uh, and that's fine. That's fine. But you know, <laughs> honest, honesty compels me to say because I've just noticed this, and I. So we it talks about that impressive three week stretch of 106, 171, 119 yards. Here's another stretch of the Bears defense where they allowed total yardage 181, 130. And 123. Playoffs. Yes. That was the division playoff <laughs> game, the conference championship game, and the Super Bowl. Can you can you run off those numbers one more time? The Giants gained 181 total yards, which okay. is terrible. It's anemic. They by right. far or, or, gained the most against was, the Bears. That was in a the divisional playoffs. playoff game. Mm-hmm. The, the Rams, the high flying Dieter Brock, Eric Dickerson Rams, 130 <laughs> total yards. They passed for 44 yards in the NFC championship game. And then the Super yep. Bowl, 123. So 430 some odd yards in three playoff games. <laughs> yeah, not to go all Steve Kornacki here, but let's see. So three, three, I mean, 11 and 123. So they averaged 34. 
Where there's off. Okay, so you're averaging less less than 140, let alone 150 yards entire for a three uh, a three week stretch in the playoffs. Do you know? That's great. Do you know how? I'd never noticed this before. Now the Patriots, they almost had more turnovers than rushing yards. They turned the ball over six times. They rushed in the Super Bowl for seven yards. Wow. I can't even remember who the running back was now that. So when people are it. like, I can't believe John Madden says that the Bears, the 1985 Bears were the best team he'd ever seen. That's why. That's yeah. it right there. There's your indelible evidence that for the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the last 10 weeks of the season, including the playoffs, they held teams under 200 yards for every game. Seven times. Seven out of ten times they held teams under two hundred yards, not under three hundred yards. Right, under two hundred <laughs> yards. Yeah, I I might take a deep dive at some point and and go into some sort of a, a, a comparative analysis throughout teams in history because that's a hell of a run in any era. My God. So, um, <laughs> the uh, the game against the Vikings, the the big the McMahon comeback game. No, um, don't. A pass was caught by a guy who I don't know who he is. And I thought I knew Bears? Yes. Do you remember Dunsmore? Brad Anderson? Uh, not like so faintly that I may have been able to recall him 20 years ago. Was he number 86? He was. I remember, I remember Marcus Anderson. Do you remember Marcus he was, Anderson? He was number 86. Was he really? So I must, I must have some sort of a, a connection went to two colleges went to BYU and Arizona okay and okay he played in two seasons for the Bears 84 and 85 um he caught yeah, four I, passes for 83 yards in two seasons and the only his only reception in 85 was against the Vikings so I had no idea who that was somehow in the in the dark abyss or the recesses of my mind his number popped out i had some recollection not nearly as memorable as marcus anderson from about five years earlier might be a little bit before your time because i'm like one year older than you but marcus anderson i was i was big on 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 uh on him he had like a couple of uh huge receiving games i think he just kept falling on his head too much and kind of disappeared but we could probably spend some time in the future uh going over Good old number 82, I think, Marcus they, Anderson. The Vikings of that ilk had the great Buster Rhymes on their team. Who, um, and I'm just looking this up right now. Um, so Buster Rhymes, B-U-S-T-A, is of course a famous rapper. And it says right. here that Chuck D of Public Enemy gave him the nickname, because his real name is Trevor George Smith Jr., so it has nothing to do with it. Gave him that moniker in honor of former NFL and CFL wide receiver George Buster Rhymes. Interesting. Okay, that's his claim to fame now. Yep. Buster caught three passes for 89 yards against the Bears. That so should have been his claim to in fame. that right, yeah. I mean, you know, 85 Bears. So in that era, which I would loosely de- define from 84 to 90, um, the Vikings 
and and I like to dwell on this era not only because it was uh, the Bears' one era in our lifetime that was like for more than a three-year period where they dominated, but it was, it was interesting that you become a fan in 1980. The, the Packers were of no consequence. You, when you become a fan, you don't you accept things for how they are. You don't really learn the history until you're in it more. So it was years later till you learn about the history. Uh, the Packers were always just bad. The Lions were bad, and I like the the Buccaneers were in the Bears division. They were you know bad after a brief run. And like my brother would point out in the 80s, like, you know, that's the key to Ditka's success. Win the division, right? You've had eight games in the NFC Central. Uh, how could you not win the division every year? The Vikings were like the only team that uh, between 84 and 90 would legitimately threaten the Bears. And it was kind of cute. In a couple of years, they beat him. I know. I think they may have even swept them one of those years. Um, and the Vikings themselves went to the title game in 87. Um but it's kind of funny that yeah, when we got accustomed to the Bears going to the playoffs every year, that was the formula. Uh, in fact, like for three straight years, I'm pretty sure they didn't lose to either the Packers or the Lions or the Buccaneers. Uh, and the, the Vikings were like the only gadfly. And, but even then, they were never really, never really that that worried about them as much as like the opponents outside of the division, San Francisco and Washington and New York. But um, that's that's pretty much all I can say about the Vikings. And one of my earliest memories is that they were never really. Uh, I didn't really fear them, although our older brothers did because they dominated for an entire decade in the 70s. But they were pretty much the only – they were like a nuisance. They were the only uh, the only threat, remote threat to the Bears in those years. So I uh, – yeah, and it, it it ties in with what we've talked about before about that, that difficult era in the NFL, the or in the NFC, where – the Bears had the biggest advantage of all the teams, given that they should easily win their division every year. The Niners yep. had the Rams. The Rams is really their only real uh, Rams are good impediment because the Seahawks were an AFC team, so you weren't even dealing with Jim Zorn and um, yeah, Steve uh, the Falcons and, and Saints. Yeah, it was just the Falcons and Saints, and they sucked ass. But the Giants, Cowboys, and Redskins, and you know, yeah. the only team they had to beat around were the Eagles, and the Eagles were Car- terrible. And the, and the Cardinals. Oh, and yeah. the Cardinals. And the Cardinals. That's right. They did have the Cardinals, so I'll take turns then. But, uh, but then, no, the Eagles were bad until Buddy got there, and they got good again. There was like a six-year period between Vermeil yeah. and Buddy where the Eagles were ass. Was Rich Kotite pre-Buddy or post? He's post. Post. Yeah. He actually won a playoff game, which Buddy couldn't do. Believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, but there was a guy who uh, was the head coach of the Vikings who was uh, a, a, was an offensive coordinator for the Bears that I want to talk about for a minute. Um, Mike Tice. Oh, God, I forgot he was a Bears coach. Former Vikings tight end, Mike Tice, yep. whose brother also played. Uh, John played for the really? Seahawks, I think. Yes. I did not know that. Um couple of very interesting things about Mike Tice. Tice got promoted to offensive coordinator of the Bears after being the offensive line coach. The the two seasons he was the offensive line coach, the Bear quarterbacks were sacked an NFL record 105 times. Now, he would he, he would just blame this on the fact that Mike Martz was the offensive coordinator and they didn't use a tight end and they didn't really block anybody. But still, right. that's still the NFL record. That shouldn't get you promoted to offensive coordinator. <laughs> right. I don't think so. Falling forward, I believe. The, the Peter principle or there's something about, yeah. 
the other thing that uh, Mike is uh, apparently famous for, and I didn't know this, um, he won a hundred thousand dollars in a pick six in twenty thirteen. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> oh my God! So of course go. he's playing lottery. Of course he's playing scratch offs and whatever. So uh, long after his playing career, yeah. Also, the only uh, only person, only one to coach an NFL game with with basically just a canned ham stuck <laughs> on his neck because that's what I think of. That was filled. He had the pencil before Matt Patricia too. That's right. He had the pencil. Always had the pencil and the reading glasses. It's like, all right, you're the biggest you know, meathead who's ever coached, and the reading glasses and the pencil are not. It's not like, oh, I wonder if he's doing the New York Times crossword puzzle over there. No, we know he's not. <laughs> Right, he's coloring in Ziggy. So, who was the first coach in Vikings history? I didn't know this. I wanted to say I actually looked this up because I thought it was Norm Van Brocklin, who I believe was Dutchman. the quarterback. Yeah, who took the Eagles to a championship in forty-eight forty. But it was now it was a guy named by the name of Steve Van Buren, I guess. Was it? Because according yes. to this, it was Norm Van Brocklin. Oh wait, well, who the hell is Steve Van Buren? I, I got my the van. Eagles. I, or played for the Eagles. Oh, he played see, for the Eagles. that's my I confusion because I, I think Van Brocklin uh, played for the Eagles. Oh, yes, right. he did. Okay, um, yeah, the first five seasons of their existence, sixty-one to sixty-six, he was their coach. Twenty-nine, fifty-one, and four. Then the great Bud Grant made his first kid. his first stint. Um, well, it, it really, it was like seventeen seasons, right? Yes. Like the second stint was just one one year. One. Yes. So. So it's interesting that, you know, Minnesota came to the league in 61 and the Cowboys came to the league in 60. Their expansion teams probably took their lumps, I'm guessing, first couple of years. But it, it's funny that within a decade, they became the absolute face of the of the NFC that continued to get quashed in the Super Bowl. But still, kind of funny that they held the, held the now, line. So the, the Cowboys replaced the Texans, right? No. I, I mean, don't believe so. Well, I mean, the Cowboys were an expansion team. No, I mean, I'm, I just mean in Dallas because the Texans became they were an AFL team, and they, well, now they became two the Chiefs, right? Yeah, there was a Texans team from like 1952 in the NFL, oh, and okay. I remember I only I learned about this in NFL films in the 80s, and there was a joke. You can look it up. You'll probably find the NFL films. They actually beat the Bears on Thanksgiving that day. It's obviously a down year for the Bears, but they're a pathetic franchise. They're one year they didn't even finish the season, so that's more of an anomaly. But yes, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, the AFL, were originally the Dallas the Texans. Dallas Texans. Yes, yeah. The, yeah. the three pieces of uh, of arcane Chiefs trivia that I have in the Bears, I don't think are going to play them in the Super Bowl, so I probably can use it now, <coughs> were, um, they were the they were the Texans, moved to Kansas City, became the Chiefs. Um, their owner, um, Lamar Hunt, who was also was a longtime part owner of the Bulls. The Bulls, yep. And I was, my one of my favorite things is he owned, um, for the first championship, he owned a bigger percentage of the Bulls than Jerry Reinsdorf did. He was actually, I did the, not know he, that. there was no majority owner, but Lamar owned the most. Um, but Jerry just somehow had controlling. He was a chairman. Authority. He got elected. He got himself named chairman of the board. Okay. Okay. I didn't. I so didn't. He know was that. running things, but he didn't have as much. I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf has made. Um, it's the kind of businessman. It's, there was a reason Michael Jordan tried to buy the Hornets with no money, because he saw Jerry basically yeah. buy the White Sox with Eddie Heinorn's money and buy the yep. Bulls with everybody else's money. I thought, well, well, you don't have to spend your own. You just start to make it, and then you start to buy up people's shares. It's kind of a, the Trumpian It's the Trumpian model, because he was a real estate guy. Yeah. Um, and, and Eddie Einhorn made a ton of money, and he was the early pioneer in cable television, which helped him bring sports vision to Chicago. So, 
Uh, Lamar Hunt named Lamar Hunt named the Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. After the Super Super Bowl, which is just yeah. And when they built Arrowhead Stadium, Lamar built a little shag pad for himself in it. There's actually an apartment built into Arrowhead that the um, his widow now stays in the night before and the night after games. She actually lives in the stadium. That's not creepy. No, not at all. I assume, actually, Lamar would say, and by all accounts, Lamar was a very nice guy. Was that, that, that was always the purpose of the apartment. But I'm sure that, you know, other things happened right. in that apartment. Maybe not with Lamar, but things I'm sure Maybe happened in that apartment. stabbing cabin. Yes. Um, I don't think Vag McCaskey had one built in the soldier field, but I don't know that. So maybe she did. She may have had a, like a, maybe a player piano for Ed uh, carved out <laughs> in, in one of you can uh, go Lamar sing in here. Ed says that's where you have to sing. Ed. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear you when he's coaching. <laughs> um, so, and of course the AFC uh, championship uh, is awarded the Lamar hunt trophy yes. as the NFC is to George house. Of course, my, one of my, I'll just add one uh, Kansas city fact. And I know went off on a tangent here because the bears are playing the Vikings is the fact that I brought this up earlier that their first NFL championship was last year, but that's it. That's right. Because the, because when they beat the Vikings, well, I will bring it back now. Full circle. Yeah, the Vikings actually, but and I'll get and I'll tell Vikings fans it's true. You know we make fun of them and we're going to continue to for the next twenty minutes and the next time they play we haven't even gotten into their playoff um, uh, performances. But the Vikings actually do have an NFL championship. It just happened to be the final year before the NFL AFL merger. They still had to play a uh, a game against the Chiefs, who are the AFL champion, which was retroactively labeled Super Bowl four, or maybe it was was the Super Bowl, but it was not the NFL championship. It was just a exhibition game played by two league champions. Vikings lost the Super Bowl, but they were still NFL champions. So they're Minnesota, a three of bone. Yeah, it's basically a bowl game. That's what they called it the Super yeah. Bowl. It was basically like, hey, it's like the Blue Bonnet Bowl. We're going to hand out a trophy, but you already won your championship. Well, and nobody expected the AFC, the AFL to win. It was, it was throwing them a bone yeah. until fucking Namath and his overrated ass just managed to, you know, pull pull some shit. Yeah, and then uh, then Hank Stram and his toupee. Yeah. They trickled the ball down the field. Lest we forget. <laughs> um. <laughs> And Len and Len Dawson smoking a lung dart at halftime, you know, different time. So the the, super, the Vikings have only had nine coaches ever, which a lot of that is because Bud Grant coached for eighteen years over two stints. Yeah, but they had some uh-huh. beauties in amongst the other guys. Uh, Les Steckel, who we talked about last time, and the banner he what? went three and thirteen. Yep. Fans hung a banner that said "Less Steckel, More Bud," which is one of the great banners mm-hmm. in NFL history. Mm-hmm. Bud was then replaced by one of my favorite. One of my all-time favorite coaches, Jerry Burns. Right. Uh, a guy who looked like he combed his hair with a nail all the time. Yeah. Completely disheveled his, at all times. His skin, his skin just looked like he, – he looked like just like the, the, the faded bark of some old maple tree. Um, and and, and I, I – go ahead. Well, I was going to say, now he's not even the most famous Jerry Burns because the actor Jerry Burns, who was on Dear John with um, – uh, the guy from Taxi, Judd, uh, Alex Judd, Judd Hirsch. And then probably m- more relevant, and it was played Win Duffy on Justified, is Jerry Burns, J-E-R-E Burns, 
Um, okay, Jerry I don't know Burns how much more famous he is. won 95 games. No, he didn't. He won 50. He only coached 95 games. He won 52 games. So he's barely over 500. So not terrible. Okay. Not great. He won one FC title game or one FC Central title in 1989. Yes. That was one of the, uh, um, you know, one of the years the Bears. That was the year the Bears uh, had home field for the second straight year and lost to the Redskins, even though they had McMahon uh, in that game. But the day before was when Minnesota kind of shocked the world in a in, uh, in their divisional playoff game. Anthony Carter went off, I think. And they may have had Chris Carter, too, but Anthony had over 200 yards, and they upset the 49ers. Because remember, you know, that happens, and the 49ers were the number one seed, and the Bears were the number two seed. And the Bears, I think, had gone 12 and or 11 and four that year is a 15 game schedule due to the strike. And all of a sudden, you know, the bears who are playing at home the next day against the Redskins, if they beat the Redskins, like they should, they'll be at home against the Vikings for the title game. And instead uh, went out for the second consecutive year, losing at home to the Redskins. So that let the uh, Vikings go to the title game. And it was a close game uh, against Doug Williams and the Redskins. It came down to a play at the goal line. Uh, Ted Brown, I think he caught the pass from Wade Wilson and, and, and the safety stood him up and he didn't score. And that turned out to be the least painful of about three subsequent NFC title games. And of course that's on the heels of the Vikings going to four Super Bowls in about a nine year period and losing them all. So. Yeah. Cause other, uh, was it a title game back in the seventies when uh, Drew Pearson invented the hail Mary? Drew Pearson and, um, uh, Correct. What's his name? The greatest quarterback in Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach created the so Hail Mary, I, which Roger right, apparently so I named. It up. Right. You know, just so, just for the record, the funny thing about that is that is supposedly the original Hail Mary play. But I looked it up a couple years ago after talking to my brother. It wasn't the last play of the game. It was still a Hail Mary, but it's just kind of funny that technically speaking, uh, there was still time on the clock. But I don't – that was not a title game. I'm almost positive. Okay. It was also a blatant uh, push-off by Pearson. Yeah, too. That's, that's, it would have gotten called. Two today. hands in the back. It, just shoves the guy out of the way and catches the ball. Yeah, yeah, Drew Pearson. Um, yeah, the, it's considered the original Hail Mary. And, uh, yeah, it was a divisional playoff game. It was in 75. I don't know who um, uh, who Dallas – played after that um but if it was 75 they would have won to play pittsburgh in the super bowl so my guess would just be the rams but yeah divisional playoff game so that was not one of their ball crushing conference title losses however they did you know advance four times or at least three times and the fourth being that that not that that unofficial super bowl that they lost to the chiefs but in the 70s yeah they went three more times and and it wasn't even close it wasn't even heartbreaking they got blown out in all three super bowls uh in the 70s and you know granted that was during the afc dominance the nfc you know the, the vikings and the cowboys were the best that they had to offer up uh and it was kind of similar to what the nfc became in the nights of the bears niners redskins and uh and giants where you know, like the steelers and the raiders and i think the dolphins are still pretty tough um it, you know and minnesota ran into that every you know all three times in the 70s not even close but in the 80s in our era you know they 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 get on the they knock on the door of the Super Bowl in '87. They lose at the goal line, so that's the first one, and they kind of went back to irrelevance for a while, right? So what would have been the next championship after '87? Um, all the way until '98, right? That's the that might be one of the greatest though. Dennis Green won four NFC Central titles: '92, '94, '98, and 2000. 
Yeah, Bears knocked them out in 94. 98 would have been Wani. Right? Wani yeah. in 94, knocking them out. The last Bear Road playoff. Yeah. Game. Well, you know, a, a quick uh, um, interruption. We taught, You brought it up last week, and it blew my mind. And then I realized, you know what? Uh, Matt Nagy has had one playoff game, and, and he lost, and it was at home. Lovey Smith actually never coached the Bears on the road in the playoffs. Um, he took them to the playoffs three separate seasons. And in all three, they lost to the Panthers, boom, outside of a the neutral Eagles. site in the Super Bowl. Uh, the Eagles, uh, oh, well, that was Nagy. That was Jerron. Right, was. Eagle in 2001. Uh, but, yeah, the Seahawks twice in 06 and 010. And yeah, Lovey's undefeated the playoffs against the Seahawks. Right, the, the only team he's right. ever beaten. And and they were both times, neither of them were 500, I think we, 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 right. we mentioned. They were, they were 500 but, one year, and they were below five. The only right. sub-500 team so far. Correct. But se- but central to this point is the fact that Lovey actually, in spite of taking the Bears to playoffs in three seasons, never had to coach them on the road. And then um, and Jerron didn't either. Coincident- Ironically, Wanstead never coached them at home because he beat the Vikings in the hump dome, and then they got blown out by the Niners. Yep. Uh, in candlestick, but yeah, the Bears did knock the Vikings out in '94. So not as heartbreaking as the Vikings title uh, game losses, but still. So was it? So '98 is the um, Randy Moss rookie year. Yep. Randall Cunningham and it, Randy rejuvenated. Moss, Chris Carter. Yeah. One of the greatest offenses any team has ever had. Explosive. They crush through the season. No one's going to slow them down. They draw this dream matchup. They get the Falcons in the title game. It's just a formality at home that they're going to play the Broncos in the Super Bowl. Yep. Um, I I don't know if you have the game up, but I know that right before halftime, the Vikings were in control of the game. And this did not hurt Brian Billick's job prospects because he he was the top offensive court. He was the brains behind that explosive offense. It helped to have – Randy Moss, who fell, of course, he fell to an already good. The Vikings were already a competitive team, and Moss's "quote unquote" character issues kind of let him drop towards the bottom of the round. So the Vikings, who already had, um, you know, Carter, uh, they you know they drafted Moss, who had like an, an historic rookie season for a wide receiver, and kind of it was like a perfect like confluence of events because Cunningham was so seasoned at that point. Um, and just had a, an incredible renaissance, uh, you know, a renaissance season. They went 15-1. and one. Yeah, and their only loss was at Tampa in Week 9, and that was not a good Tampa team. It, they were 8-8. Eight and eight. Tony Dungy. And the so, Bucks, okay, and the yeah, there you go. And Dungy was sort of on the rise. But in, but in that championship game, they, had, they were in command of that game, and Billick was their offensive coordinator, and they got the ball back with like under two minutes to go. But they had like a, I want to say maybe a ten point lead, maybe a fourteen. I don't know. And instead of you know, we talked about this last week with Buddy Ryan, like going off on like offensive coordinators that don't know how to, you know, that insist on throwing going to the air with a lead or whatnot. And I remember Billick tried getting a first. They were deep in their own territory, and you know, I guess maybe if you looked at it again, maybe uh, the the Falcons had. You know, timeouts, it wouldn't have mattered. But I just remember thinking, that's pretty arrogant. You got the lead. I don't remember if they're going to get the ball in the second half, but you're deep in your own end. Just let it go. And um, and they got three and out, and Atlanta scored right before the half, and it made it a game. So I'd like to point that out before we get to the true drama at the end of the second half, which, of course, is the game got closer. So I got distracted because this, the other than their loss to Tampa, they only had one 
one-score game in the regular season. Wow. They beat. Wow. Really? And guess who it was against? Was it the Bears? It was the Bears in week four. The Bears, Ryan Wetnight, caught a 19-yard touchdown pass from, from Eric Kramer with a minute 57 uh-huh. wow. to go to pull the Bears to within 31-28. But they could not probably. And that was the only Paul Edinger probably fucked Minnesota... up the, uh, the onside kick, is that uh, who it was? Let's see. Would that have been Edinger? Uh, no, it's pre Edinger. Edinger's a rookie in 2000. All right, Jeff, Jeff Jager. Jager. Okay. Bastard. He missed Mike the Horn extra point. kicking for the Bears. I remember Mike. He was a punter, Mike Horn, right? Yes, or he no? was their punter. I'm sorry. Haran, so, probably. So, I believe so. To help set the stage even more before we get to the second half, this was from week 13 on. This is how many points the Vikings scored 46, 48, 38, 50, 26. Then in the first round of the playoffs, they beat Arizona 41-21. That has to be like the biggest role any offense has ever been on. And then they were they draw the frickin' Falcons in yep. the playoffs, in the conference championship game. Um, although the Falcons had... Actually, they weren't the frickin' Falcons. The Falcons were went 14-2 that year. That's yeah, they were good. Okay, so I guess maybe we yeah. should have thought, but still, it was a huge shock. Nobody thought they were gonna. So well, yes, at halftime, the last four weeks, it's almost like uh, the the offensive counterpart to the Bears' defense. I mean, frankly, what they yeah. were doing down the stretch. So um, you're right. Right before, and, 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 <laughs> right before the half, Gary Anderson kicked a field goal to make it twenty to seven, but then Chris Chandler to Terrence Mathis with less than a minute to go made it twenty to fourteen. Yep. I'm telling you, the Vikings got the ball in a punt, and instead of trying to just, you know, go to halftime, they threw, they went to the air and left it land enough time to score before the half, and that made a difference. So, like I said, it didn't hurt Brian Billick's job prospects because he won a Super Bowl two years later in Baltimore. He, get, he took off after that season. The but. only scoring in the third quarter was a Morton Anderson 27-yard field goal. Made it 20 to 17. Vikings score first in the fourth. I'm sure they thought they put the game away. Randall Cunningham to Matthew Hatchett for five yards to go up by 10. And then Morton Anderson gets uh-huh. a 24-yard field goal. Then yep. with less than a minute to go, Terrence Mathis caught a 16-yard touchdown pass from Chandler, so it's second touchdown of the game, to tie okay. it. And then they're off to overtime. Or when was the when was the Gary Anderson moment? Uh, At the end of regulation or in overtime? I think it was in At overtime. This- at this point, it would have been effectively the same if Mathis scores a touchdown yeah. in less than a minute. It would have been so. the end of the game. They, oh, I can and, find and so out because I, this we're late enough that they've uh, NF, the uh, pro well, football reference has play by play. And I know like 95% of the people that are listening know the context here, but it needs to be pointed out here that Gary Anderson was the first, I want to say, maybe not the first, but um, he had gone an entire season without missing a field goal, yep. not an extra point. He did not miss an, a field goal attempt all season for this offensive freaking juggernaut that rolls to the playoffs and then pulls up with a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And I, what was the distance on the miss? Do, 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 do. It was. It wasn't a gimme. It wasn't a Blair Walsh, but, um, you know, like I hadn't missed all year. And I said, I did say Gary Anderson, right? Not Morton Anderson. Yeah, like it's confusing because there's two. Okay, no, we were both wrong. Um, 
Gary's field goal attempt would have put them up, would have put them back up by 10. That's it. It would have iced the game. Yeah. Same thing. Same effect, though. Yeah. So, so a little, same effect. Just, just over two minutes left in the game. And, and because th- of that situation, actually a little less pressure, too. It wasn't yes, like, right. it was like, hey, we already got the lead. Do what you've been doing all year. And, you know, we're, we're booking kick it, We're going to the Super Bowl. It's yeah. a, it was a um, 38 That's yard field goal, and he missed it. Gave the ball. Oh, my God. Gave the ball back to oh my, I mean, the Falcons. They, they just, oh, yeah, yeah, and, and then you know, it was here's what's funny: Chandler to Kozlowski, not Glenn Brian, to Mathis, to Ronnie Harris, <laughs> incomplete. Chandler runs for nine yards. Jamal Anderson runs for six yards, incomplete to Mathis, and then but touchdown to, to Mathis. All the way, they had to go all the way down. Oh my God! And here's what's great: because we're probably it's not worth it to go into this other one now, and they play the Vikings again. The the most glorious thing about this, and we should continue to talk about it as long as we're comfortable, is this was not even the most painful championship game. Probably, I don't know. We can debate that later, but I think we can save the the one from two thousand nine for the next time they play the Vikings. I think if it is, it's only because they this is the best team they ever had. Yes, no doubt. So they were going to win the Super Bowl if they won the game, even though the Falcons Maybe. didn't win the Super Bowl. I think every, no, well, everyone assumed and it. The, and, and, you know, we just gotten off that 13-year NFC run where they won 13 straight Super Bowls that Denver did stop against the Packers the yes, year before. And one of my all-time favorite Super Bowls, just because of the Packers. Yeah, no, yeah, I wasn't going to complain about You know, I, I, I appreciate being a Bears fan, of course, like being a Cubs fan, you're a National League fan. I'm an NFC fan, generally. I uh, was disappointed to see that streak come, but I was, yeah, fine that the Packers lost. Um so I, you know, so then you kind of weigh it. Was was Denver really that good? I don't know. I mean, it would have been a hell of a Super Bowl. It would have been a better Super yes, Bowl. Yes, it would have been a much than what we more had. fun game. The Super Bowl sucked that year. Um, Not that I remember. So they go to overtime. the The Vikings win the toss, get the ball, and Ooh. do nothing. Um, wow! They get one first down on an eleven yard catch by Leroy Horde from Cunningham. Have to punt. Um, the uh, Falcons get it at their own 15, get out to the 41 before Dan Straczynski punts. So the, okay. So the Vikings get it back again. The rare double overtime now looming because it's a playoff game. And uh, they get they've an incomplete first down pass to Chris Carter. And then incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. How frustrating. Punt. They finally, they finally went cold. And then the uh, that offense. Falcons get the ball at their own nine. I wonder how much. So there's got to be like eight minutes or, or less. Not that a clock. twenty. They get the, they get the ball with eight twenty eight to go in overtime. Yeah, it doesn't. Mean you're gonna play till it's over. Um, OJ Santiago catches a pass. OJ Santiago catches another one for twenty six yards. Actually, had thirty. Hit forty one yards a, on the drive. He was the tight end. Yes. OJ Santiago. And then Mathis gets another catch. And now they're at the Minnesota 43, and they run Man. Chandler off tackle. I hopefully he was uh, he dropped back first. Then three carries by Jamal Anderson for nine for, minus uh-huh. one and two, and then Morton Anderson kicks. Oh, the irony! A 38-yard field goal. Oh my God! Yeah, to send them to wow. the Super Bowl. Yep, and not the Vikings. Not the Vikings. And I, Dennis Green didn't even get to do the, you want to crown him and crown their ass, because they, they did. 
They gave him the George Hallis trophy. They did. <laughs> the aforementioned George Hallis trophy. Which the Bears which have only was ever won once. And the Chiefs have well, only it, won the... No, uh, the Bears have won it twice because coincidentally the very first year oh, of was the, it the first year? Lamar Hunt uh, and George Hallis trophies was the 1985 season. That's when they began uh, uh, issuing um, conference trophies named after uh, Hallis and, and Hunt, respectively. <laughs> hey, that was fun reliving. I mean, I, I've relived it in my head periodically. It's been 22 years. I remember watching it. And I, I didn't hate the. I don't even remember if I was rooting against I might have been ambivalent. I was just kind of more pointing and laughing at how the whole, like, and, it, and, I, and I will. Oh, God, you want to do of, You were doing the dirty bird in your living room. That's right, man. Jamama, man. Anderson. He was, but just the, um, I, I just, I, I always kind of hung my head a little bit on Brian Billick's arrogance. It didn't hurt him. He got a job. And, you know, in a career afterwards, but it was the Vikings at 20 to seven lead in that game and the ball at the end of the first half. I don't know, man. I mean, don't get cocky. So I blame, I, I put the a little bit on Billick as much as uh, poor old Gary Anderson, which is still hilarious. Do you remember? All right, we can talk one more championship game because it wasn't as nut crunching, but it was also hilarious. The Do you remember that the Vikings returned? To the NFC title game two years later? Two years later. So 2000. Yeah, I see it right here. I don't I remember. I think they still may have had Cunningham, may have still been their quarterback. Just look at the score. Oh, is this when the Giants beat them by a million points? Yeah, I think it was 41 nothing, was it? So it's like, bo- it's, like, it's like both types. I think if you're a fan, you'd probably prefer the 41 nothing blowout or whatever it was. But both are awful. It's you know, there, I mean, there's no good way to lose, obviously. But yeah, forty-one to nothing. It was thirty-four to nothing at halftime. <laughs> so they only held they held him to seven points in the second half. Way to go! That's pretty good. All right, so more painful the um, this one, or then in two thousand and nine, they go to the Superdome to play the Saints with Brett Favre, who. Almost like just as in some ways it was a parallel because, you know, with Randall Cunningham, right? Quarterback who made his name elsewhere yeah. that all of a sudden has a season for the ages because Favre was huge that year. He must have thrown for 3,500 yards, I bet. Yeah, he had a great year. He had been bad with the Jets. Yep. And then everybody thought he was kind of washed up. And he got to go where he wanted to in the first place. But obviously the Packers weren't going to trade him to the Vikings. Right, right. Yeah, they somehow made that game a little bit more excruciating, I think, because, um, well, I mean, I don't remember all the details of the game, just how it ended. And I, I know, remember we talked about this last year with Kyle on the Bears cast, too, because it's just, it's fun. You know, it's too much fun not to. But, I mean, that game actually did go to overtime. Yes, well, well sort of the Vikings. So, so that's two. They've lost two overtime games in conference, uh, in, in conference title games. But the thing about this one was that Favre was almost sort of in field goal range when he, you know, pulled the uh, the atomic option that he so often did in the playoffs. Well, they were right on the fringes of, of field goal range, but he had 10 yards in front of him. So if he had simply run it as, to get as many yards as he could and get out of bounds, then they were clearly in field goal range. Yeah, and instead, the old gunslinger uh, yep. tried to force a pass. They got intercepted, and um, and 
It was in regulation, I think, right? Because then they lost in overtime after that, I believe. Or, I, or, I don't know. It, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, to be a Vikings fan and like realize that you've already sold your soul for this guy. <laughs> like, so, all right, fine. So they had uh, they had third and fifteen on the New Orleans thirty-eight with nineteen seconds to go. And regulation in a, in a tie game, yes. And that's when Favre rolls out. All he needed was five freaking yards, yes. and right? he had ten in front of him. So if he just gets to the you know get to even get to the thirty-five. Uh, it's a fifty-two yard just, field goal. Take a hit. Get your old ass. Your old ass sees, bell wrong. He sees Sidney Rice coming open late and over the middle, which has always been Favre's kryptonite. And the pass was intercepted mm. by former Harper College star Tracy Porter, who intercepted. <laughs> you mean Harper it. College? Wait, Harper College, a mile from where I live here. Harper in College, yes. So this is a, you're gonna, you're gonna, everybody at home is really going to enjoy this. They, story. they don't even have a football team anymore. They do not. So they were so a few years before that, I would say around 2000 maybe. Um, big game between Harper College and Rock Valley College, and uh-huh. late in the game, Tracy Porter intercepts pass, returns it for a touchdown, and Harper beats Rock Valley. Then in 2009, the second, well maybe the third biggest moment of his career behind the Rock Valley game winner, uh, he intercepts Favre. <laughs> Then in the Super Bowl against Peyton Manning, he intercepts a pass, runs it back for a touchdown, and he also had an interception off of Rex in the Super Bowl. Um, Three years prior. Right, when he was right. um, when he was playing for the Colts. Okay, wait, so when did he play for Harper College? I don't remember, but I'd say around 2000. Wow, okay. I don't remember where he went to his four-year school. Well, yeah, because then he was in the so he was in the Super Bowl, the 06 season, the 07 Super Bowl against the Bears. He was in the Super Bowl okay. two years later with the Saints. It was probably a little more famous than those well, other ones. But. Since I could like you know get on my bike and be at Harper College in like 12 minutes, I'm just going to adopt Tracy Tracy Porter as as my own. So that's yeah, awesome. so they so they throw the interception, and that's like all right. Well, that sucked, but. We'll get him in overtime. They lose the toss. Ryan Longwell kicks off. The Drew Brees and the Saints go on a four-minute drive from their own oh 39 God. to the Minnesota 22, where Garrett Hartley kicks a 40-yard field goal. The Vikings never so, touch well, the ball. Lose Barb the game. never got to put his hands on the ball after the pick. No, nope. once he threw the pick, he stood on the sidelines and watched. And I was torn by that. I mean, I only because I knew how much it would have bothered Packer fans to see him yeah. play in a Super Bowl for the Vikings. So I remember being kind yeah. of disappointed. I'm like, ah, you know, it's I hated yeah. I hated Packer fans more than Favre. Of course. Especially since by then we had a pretty good idea that they had another good fucking quarterback and right, really right, right. Just resent them even more. Um. That's great. I think we covered it all, actually. And so hopefully we haven't run out of topics for the next time the Bears and Vikings play because I already referenced the Blair Walsh uh, kick to the nuts. Uh, yeah, we didn't earlier. analyze that uh, one, though. My favorite thing about that was how ridiculously cold it was that day. Well, all right. And so like I'll finish miserable. with this then. That was this is one Seahawks. of the first. Yes, this is one of the first things I think of with Bud Grant. They actually brought his old ass out for the coin toss that. at that game. 
And I have to give him credit again, not knowing like what a you know what a military poseur he pre- he was in 1985, <laughs> but he, um, you know, sort of this sort of stereotypical you know upper Midwestern guy. He had to be he's still alive now, or has he finally passed? By the way, he may have passed recently. I think he did. But anyway, this was because this Blair Walsh game was seven eight years ago. I want to say 2014. And it was in their new outdoor stadium that spent all those years inside the hump dome. And it was like three degrees out. And, uh, but Bud Grant came out, his 90 year old ass came out for the coin toss and he was wearing short sleeves. He's alive. Is yeah. He didn't still? he have, he had the Minnesota, like he had the, the purple polo shirt and then like the white long sleeve shirt under it, but with the sleeves pushed up to his elbows. So That's right. Is that what it was? Yeah, he's a precaution, but for the cameras. He's a he's a freaking. He lives in Minnesota. The the coldest. You put a flannel shirt on if it gets really cold. Yeah, and the only reason they were playing outside was because the Metrodome roof collapsed, and they were playing at the University of. Are you sure? Well, because the new the the new stadium's a dome. Oh yeah, they went from one dome to another, but they had like two or three years in between where they had to play at. TCF. Was it that long? Did, did they not? Did they never go back? They went back to the Metrodome because that was the year the Bears won the division in 2010. Because the Bears played in that. We talked about that either this year or last year. Joe Webb was the Minnesota quarterback when the Bears actually ended Brett Favre's career. Oh, that was outside. That was outside. Right. And I know. Was hell and but icy the, and that was at the new University of Minnesota uh, stadium. But but you're saying that they that they basically that was their home for. Multi- I, I I thought. When the when the Metrodome collapsed, which happened in 2010, I know that they eventually moved back in there. Maybe not. I they just played for the. I think they just had but, to dump it. Okay, so we can look this up. That's the beauty of the internet. Well, Stadiums. yeah. So now, because I'm a I'm I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit thrown. It was uh, January 10th, 2016. Is that right? <coughs> Man, um, Victor the Viking. Yeah, they played at TCF Bank Stadium. That must have been their home for multiple years. I, I don't. Uh... Yeah, they 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 started in the old Metropolitan Stadium that was outdoors. Then they played in the Hump Dome forever. Yeah, and uh, let's see here, TCF Stadium, Vikings. They played their two seasons, 2014 and 2015. But they also played there in 2010 in the emergency. So somehow they patched the roof, and they went back there, and then finally blew it up. But before their current stadium um, was completed, so they played at the Gophers Stadium. That had to be it, because yeah, the roof collapsing in the Metrodome in 2010 was not the end of the Metrodome. Oh. But it did force them to play the rest of their games that year uh, at TCF. And then they moved back in with a giant patch in the ceiling for three years. Went back while theirs was being built, I guess. Strange. Yeah, it's... uh... Uh, They're in U.S. US Bank now. So... (laughs) I love this fact in Wikipedia. On January 18th, 2014, the Metrodome roof was deflated, signaling the beginning of demolition <laughs> work. All right, somebody unplug the somebody uh somebody pull the plug. Here's a little Metrodome trivia for you. It's the only venue to have hosted an All-Star game, a baseball All-Star game, a Super Bowl, an NCAA Final Four, and it hosts two of those, and a World Series hosted two of those. 
Wow. The 92 Super Bowl in beautiful Minneapolis in that old. Oh, yeah, Redskins-Bills. Redskins and Bills, yeah. And then it went back um, one of the freaking. Was that Patriots-Eagles? Was that in Minnesota? Because the Vikings had a chance to play in it. That was the Nick Foles. Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles. So he did that in Minnesota. But, yeah, the Vikings were one game away from playing a Super Bowl in their own building. Wow, but that was a that was not a uh, ball punching no, NFC title. The Eagles game beat loss. them relatively. In fact, the, one of the great wins in Viking history had happened the week before when they had the ridiculous yeah, Stefan Diggs. Correct. Last, play, the last of the game. play of the game. Yeah. Or Case Keenum. Hey, have you ever been to the Metrodome? Had you ever been no. to the Metrodome? We drove by it once. So I was there for multiple Cubs games and multiple Bears games, including the last ever Bears game when Mark Tressman decided to uh, kick mm, on yes. second down. But I was also there for a Sunday night game in 2001 when the uh, emerging Bears wipe, you know, wiped the floor with them. Uh, saw Kerry Wood there as a rookie in 98, and another game with Latroy Hawkins pitched for the Cubs in 2000, or pitched for the Twins in 2000. Anyway, here's my point. It was such an odd thing. It was like when I, when I talk about it being deflated, it was so much of like the roof being propped up was basically just through natural physics as opposed to like beams yeah. that if you walked underneath the stands, you know, you know, like you kind of like follow the concourse and the concessions are on your left. And then there are stairwells to your right. And you're going around the circle. You also had these doors, you know, the push doors, right. But you could not open those. Cause I remember one time, like I had to get downstairs instead of going to the stairwell, I just went to one of these glass doors and I started to push it. I remember like one of the security, I was like, no, oh, you're <laughs> going to deflate like, the roof. And as I pushed it, I kind of like felt like these forces kind of sucking me, you know, outside, like not like, you know, severely. It wasn't that kind of liability, but it was like, you know, I pushed it as I heard her yelling and then I like feel this force pulling against me. And then I like I I pulled it back. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I almost made the roof collapse in this place. I mean, that's just how it was designed. I don't think most domes are like most domes. Like I said, most domes have, you know like buttresses and beams and, and things that we learned about, in, you know, high school humanities. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the, the Fox footage because they had a, they set a camera running and they caught the actual snow starting to come through and then the roof going, it's pretty impressive. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to link it. So what happened? Well, now I got it. When it collapsed, there had to have been a game scheduled for like the next. I think it happened like overnight, maybe. Yeah, they moved. Well, that's when they moved because that that Gopher Stadium was brand new, and they just played the rest of their oh, games there. All right, so they were able it to happened, play that. Yes, they didn't have. To, that's why. That, that's why the Bears played there in 2010. And then well, I knew they, that, they, but I mean, what happened that week? They just moved over. I guess. Yeah, they say. Yeah, it must have really, you know, stressed the logistics oh, of the. I'll put this the ticketing on. department. Chromebooks don't just start fast. <laughs> I remember that too. Sound. Wow. Just before a Vikings game. The yeah, first we, uh, comment on YouTube is a Bear fan. Matt 92 Machine. Imagine if this happened during a game. You know, he's just hoping that it would land on whoever the Bear quarterback was. Is there a there's a little known codicil in the NFL constitution <laughs> that if if a Bear quarterback is killed by a roof, they get the first pick in the draft the next year. Should have been you, Stenstrom. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, here's a disturbing headline. 
from none of no other better <laughs> the Christian Science Monitor. Oh, there you go. Vikings Metrodome roof collapses for the fifth time. <laughs> that was the fifth time since 1982. And what they did was they postponed the game. They played. They we had two Monday night games. They played the Giants in across the street at the University of Minnesota on Mondays. They took they gave oh my them one God, day to get the stadium slapped together so they could play. What year was that? Two twenty ten. Oh, okay. Oh, right. So it was a, it immediately affected then within just a couple. Well, days. yeah, they couldn't play in it. I mean, the thing the roof was on the field. Right. You right. 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 That's no good. No. <laughs> Why aren't you guys out warming up? The roof's on the field. What? Seriously, go on and look. I can't run Co- it down and out. Coughlin's that. out there being a hard ass. Well, right. it's the foot. The, the, sure, the roof's on the field. Just stand on the roof now. We'll play on the roof because the roof's on the field. It's fine. It can't fall on you again. Come on, let's go. Right. You're right. 15 minutes late. We're right on time. I know. That's the beauty of Tom Coughlin. Now, <laughs> well, that's one thing you can say for the Bears. They've never, the roof on their stadium has never fallen in. Ever. Yeah. Not even at Wrigley, which somehow would have been a thing. You're not lying. Of course, they did play in a stadium where you couldn't, you didn't have a full 10 yards in the end zone. Correct. As the first, as I will maintain, it's the first NFL championship. I don't care what anyone says. 1932, Chicago Stadium. So it's, it is, it's interesting. You know, when the Cubs redid, when they, they pulled the bullpens out and they put those fancy seats in and the seats can be removed so that they can fit an actual football field. Uh, you know, they can play a bowl game there or a Northwestern game. Right. And they, they don't have to just go in one direction. Right. And they've never done it again. So they spent a yeah. lot of money and they haven't ever used it. Another fine Crane Kenny investment. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I won't even begin to no, question how they do things. That's a di- we can do that a different month. We can talk yeah. about Crane and all of his brilliance and- We'll stick a pin in it. All right. Well, next week is uh, they're off. They can't lose next week. Hey, hey, how about they're that? They're playing the buys. They'll struggle to a tie. Ooh, I've got some good bye week memories. And I'll, then, I'll see what I can dig up. And then it's Packer week. Okay. There's, I guarantee you we have plenty for two Packers. Please. Well, here's the thing. We're, we're going to be put to the test now because, you know, we've coasted through the season. We've been able to stretch some time with some thin source material like the Falcons and, um, you know, and the Panthers. Uh, but now it's division. We we haven't faced a team a second time. And now we're going to have the, we're going to the Packers. We're going to get the Vikings again soon. We're going to get the Lions a second time. Um, I welcome the challenge because I'm sure there's plenty of crap for us to go through. Wait till Texans week. Boy, there's going to be a lot of good Ooh. stuff that week. They've never beaten the Texans, so maybe we can go over each game. I've been to a couple of those. Texans beat them when they had a chance to make the playoffs. 2008. That was one that I wasn't at. Yeah. So, yeah That's what made the Bears. talk about. Yeah. I think we, could, we could make it work. Yes. All right. Well, good job. Good job, Mike. Yeah, good job. I just hope we didn't, you know, exhaust all the Viking stuff. Oh, no, but like always, I said, there's always more. Yeah. We didn't even. Yeah. I even had a whole thing about who the greatest uh, lineman ever to play, for, defensive lineman ever to play for both teams. Ah, and, we'll and I know the answer. And we're going to save that for sure. Oh, I think the answer will surprise you. How's that oh, for a oh. teaser? Oh, so I'm guessing he didn't go to Notre Dame. All right, sounds good. He didn't. All right. He went to, Look, uh, God, where did he go? 
I don't know. I don't want to even give it away. Yeah, leave it as a cliffhanger. We'll 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 have the Vikings again in a few weeks. All right. So look forward to it. All right. Well, go Bears. Yeah, go Bears. Thanks, Andy. Many of us have herpes. 